Good morning, church. Can I be honest with you? This morning, I have a text from which to preach and a sermon to share with you that I really wish I didn't have to share. It's incredibly relevant, but it's such a heavy subject to think through and to work through. And I wish so very much that as we think through these words of Jesus, I wish so much as I shared these thoughts with you that I could see your faces. I wish so much that this room was full and we could be together as we think through love for each other, reconciliation and unity, these very important and these very relevant subjects and issues. I wish we could be together as we think through them, but because we can't, I want to begin with a word of prayer. So let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be gathered, even if it's virtually. And thank you, Father, for the opportunity to listen to the words of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for adopting us into your family through Jesus. Thank you for the unity and the love and the reconciliation that we can experience through Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you help us to adopt the way of Jesus. Help us to walk in his ways. Help us, Father, to be one, even as you and your Son and your Spirit are one. Father, we pray that you bless our time together this morning, that you be glorified, and that we be edified. Church, when I prepared this lesson and I thought through the ideas that we're going to look at this morning, and I thought through the text, especially because the text deals with anger and frustration and making amends and making reconciliation. My mind originally went all different kinds of directions. I thought about the fact that we live in a very polarized culture. We live in a culture where people take very opposing viewpoints and very opposing sides. We live in a culture where people say all kinds of things about one another. We live in a culture of anger. This coronavirus that has ravaged our world has also filled us sometimes with such tension, such frustration, such anger, and we've taken that out so often on each other and saying things and doing things that only serve to drive us further apart. I thought about some of the conflicts and some of the frustrations and tensions that we experience even on a smaller scale in our own homes and our own families. I thought about some of the tensions and frustrations and angers that we experience with our neighbors, with people in our community, and my mind went all of those directions. And then this week, the world watched in horror as a man named George Floyd had the life taken from him, his breath choked out of him, and we are still watching as so many communities around the world in understandable frustration say we've had enough and we're sick and tired of these kinds of things happening. Our world is on fire, church. And it's nothing new. Our world has been on fire for generations. Even before this country was a country, our world has been on fire. A fire of anger, 
a fire of frustration, a fire that so often burns and consumes families and communities and nations and the world, and it threatens to consume all of us. Anger is so much like a fire. It starts like a spark, just a small spark, and you felt it, haven't you? Maybe you see something on the news and that spark lands in your heart, or or maybe you get cut off on the freeway, or maybe you accidentally cut someone else off on the freeway and then they take it out on you, or maybe I've got a neighbor that has a a mean dog that's always tearing up my fence and that spark of anger. Maybe it's over something little. Maybe it's over something big. Maybe it's something you've dealt with for a long time. Maybe it's something that's brand new, but that little spark of anger lands in your heart and then it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows until it's a, it's a fury and you're enraged and you're outraged And in your heart, there's this burning fire until most of the time it catches your tongue on fire. And then from your mouth comes all sorts of things. It's come from my mouth. How about yours? And you say something that you regret. Maybe you say it to your neighbor. Maybe you say it to somebody on the highway. Maybe you say it to your spouse. Maybe you say it to your kids. And out of your mouth comes that spark, that flame of anger and frustration. And and then it it lands on someone else's heart. And then the same process gets started all over again. And that small spark, it begins to grow and grow and grow until their whole self is on fire and then it burns their tongue and they say and do things that only makes the fire grow worse and worse and worse and worse and the fire rages all around us and it has for generations and it has for centuries and it has in every nation in every tribe, and every group of people that have ever been, even all the way back to the beginning, two brothers, Cain and Abel, and a spark of jealousy, a spark of hatred, and a spark of anger, a spark of frustration grew in Cain's heart. God says that it's like an animal This sin that's at your door and it wants to devour you, but you must conquer it. And Cain didn't. And that anger and frustration, it grew and grew and grew until it consumed him and he killed his brother. This is the way of humanity. Anger that grows into rage and frustration Anger that manifests itself in words and deeds of violence and hate and anger and rage and outrage over and over and over again as the fire spreads and threatens to consume everyone. Jesus stepped into a world that was on fire. Can you imagine what it was like in the first century world? Today we have racial tensions. Today we have political tensions. Today we have ideological tensions, frustrations, and barriers, and polarizations. And the same was true in Jesus' day. Jews, Samaritans, Romans, Greeks, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, Essenes. 
tax collectors, zealots, those who, those who made friends with Rome and those who wanted to kill anyone who made friends with Rome. And Jesus stepped into that world. Can you imagine some of the conversations that happened maybe in households like Simon the Zealot? One of Jesus' apostles, he was a zealot. He was a person who passionately, zealously wanted to defend Israel and Jerusalem wanted to take it back from the Romans. Can you imagine some of the conversations around his family's dinner table about people like Matthew, the tax collector, and about how much they hated and despised people like that that made friends with the Romans, that took advantage of their own countrymen, who betrayed and turned their back on their own Jewish brothers. Can you imagine the conversations, the the vitriol, the the hatred, the frustration that came out of the mouth of people like Simon and his family and the things they had to say about people like Matthew and his family? Or can you imagine on the other side, the conversations around Matthew's dinner table and what people in his family might have thought about people like Simon and his family? the things that they would say about them, the things that they felt about them, the things that were in their heart growing and growing and growing and growing. The world into which Jesus stepped was on fire. Israel, Jerusalem, the Jewish people, the Israelite people, the people who were supposed to be God's people were tearing themselves apart at the seams, and Jesus knew it. In fact, Jesus knew that within the lifetimes of most of his contemporaries, Jerusalem would be burned to the ground by Rome. Jesus knew that they were tearing themselves apart. And Jesus doesn't call people to defend Jerusalem. And Jesus doesn't call people to hasten the fall of Jerusalem. Jesus calls his disciples to be different. He calls every household of his followers, every family of his followers to be different, to be peacemakers, to be the people who aren't fanning the flames of anger and frustration. They're there and they're real and they're understandable. They are in our day and they were in Jesus' day, but Jesus doesn't call his disciples to fan those flames of anger and frustration. Instead, he calls them to make peace. In this series of lessons, we've been talking about how our homes, every one of our homes, if we are followers of Jesus, our homes have to be embassies of the kingdom of heaven. A little place, a little piece of ground where God's will is done there as it is done in the city of God in heaven where we are seeking to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, even if it's only on our piece of earth. I wish, I wish, don't you, that I could fix all the problems in the world. I wish I knew how. I wish I knew how to fix all the problems and all the strife and all the anger and all the death and all the destruction. I wish I could snap my finger and make it better. And I know you do as well. I wish I knew how. I wish I knew how to put out the flames in every heart. But I don't have control over every household, and neither do you. But I do have control over mine for the most part. 
I can say as a father and as a husband, as for me and my household, we will serve Jesus. Our homes, my home, will be an embassy of God's kingdom, an embassy of peace, an embassy where we speak out against evil, but that we answer evil not with more evil. We answer anger not with more anger. We answer the fire not with more fire. But we make it our goal to live at peace with all men. We make it our goal to overcome evil with good. Listen, listen, church, to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, peace is not just broken when someone dies. The peace is not just broken when the sword leaves its sheath. Peace is not just broken when the bullet leaves its chamber. Peace is not just broken when someone's breath is taken from them. Peace is broken long before that. The peace is broken When, listen to what he says, the anger builds up in your heart. The peace is broken when the insults go flying. The peace is broken when you say, you fool. And Jesus says, it's not just the murderer who is liable to judgment. The murderer is liable to the justice and the judgment of God. The one who sheds someone else's life, God will judge the murderer is liable to the judgment. But, but the people of Jesus' day would just say, you've, you've heard that it was said, we believe, we accept, thou shall not murder, right? But Jesus says it goes beyond that. And I'm calling my followers, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, every household, every home, to accept a higher standard than that. And to understand that the peace is broken long before murder takes place. The peace is broken with the anger. The peace is broken with the insults. The peace is broken with the name calling. And listen to what Jesus says over and over again. Liable, 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 guilty, answerable. Who's answerable? Who's guilty? Who's liable? The murderer, yes. And also the one who's angry. And also the one who insults. And also the one who name calls. And and before we say, see, it's all those angry people out there. It's them. It's the other group. It's the other side. It's the other political party. It's the people that don't see things as I do. The people that don't come from where I come from. The people that don't have my perspective. It's them. It's their anger that's causing the fire in the world. Which of us? Which of us is innocent? Which of us is innocent of being angry with our brother and allowing that rage, allowing that outrage, allowing that fury to grow and burn in our hearts? Which of us is innocent of saying things that we ought not to say in anger? Which of us is innocent of name-calling? 
Jesus says, if you've done any of those things, if you've harbored that anger and that bitterness and that rage and that fury in your heart, if you've allowed your tongue to burn with anger and you've insulted your brother or you've called him Raka, you fool, you empty-headed, worthless one, then you're guilty too. So you know who's guilty? Of fanning the flames of anger and frustration, of hatred that ends in destruction and death. Do you know who's guilty? Me. I'm guilty. I've participated in the anger. I've participated in fanning the flames. I've participated in spreading the fire. And Jesus wants everybody of his generation to understand you're all liable. As the, as the fires of hell, as they are about to consume and destroy, you all have to recognize that you're all liable to judgment. You're all liable to the court. You're all liable to the hell of fire. And Jesus calls us out of it. He calls his disciples to stop participating in fanning the flames. Jesus calls the people of his generation, in his culture, in his world, out of it. And he calls you and I out of it. He calls us to stop. Stop fanning the flames of anger and outrage and loathing in your heart. Stop, stop allowing those words to come out of your mouth in anger because here's what happens. It spreads the flame, doesn't it? Every time, every time in my righteous indignation, I say something in anger and fury and outrage or I type something in anger and fury and outrage, it spreads the fire. It was happening right before their eyes in Israel. And it's happening right before our eyes now. Not just with the events of the last week. Not just with the events of the last month. Not just the events of the last 10 years. But the fire has been burning before any of us were even born. And the fires of Jesus' day were burning long before any of them were born. But Jesus is the great I am who was around even before Abraham. And he sees where this train is headed. And he calls his disciples, the tax collectors and the zealots, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He calls everyone who would listen to his voice. Stop. Stop. Because you're all guilty. You're all liable. You're all answerable. And you need forgiveness. That's what I need. I need forgiveness. I need God's forgiveness for participating in the anger, for participating in the blame, for participating in the name calling, for participating in the finger pointing. I need forgiveness and I need to be called out of it. And then Jesus says this. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now Jesus gets incredibly practical. Here's how we begin to extinguish the flames of strife and contention around us. 
Any single disciple of Jesus didn't have the ability to stop all of the flames of contention and strife in Jerusalem. And you and I don't have the ability or the power or the strength to stop the flames of contention and strife in our world. But here's what we can do. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that someone has something against you. Now, he kind of shifted gears a little bit, didn't he? Because before he was talking about If you're angry at others and you're calling other people names and you're saying you fool about others and here Jesus says, but if you're offering your gift and you remember that someone has something against you, someone has made an accusation against you, someone has said that you're wrong, that you're the fool, that you've done something that you ought not to have done. Jesus deals with both sides of the conflict because we all have a tendency to spread it. Whether it's because people are angry at us and think we've done something wrong and accused us of wrongdoing. Maybe on a small scale, maybe on a big scale, maybe in your home, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in the church, maybe on a a national scale, whatever it may be. We all have a tendency, whether someone is accusing us or we're accusing someone else. Jesus speaks to both sides of the conflict. And he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that someone has something against you, take the initiative. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Whether it's someone has something against you or it's you that has something against someone else, take the initiative. Be the reconciler. Be the peacemaker. Go to them. Again, I I wish I knew how to solve strife and contention, hatred and anger and death and destruction, injustice on a national scale. I wish I knew how to do that. I wish I knew how any of us could do that. But I know how we can do it on a personal level. And it's exactly what Jesus says. Go. First be reconciled. Go. Have a conversation. Oh, how much we need to have conversations. Listen to each other. If someone is making accusations about you, if someone thinks something about you, if someone has said something about you, or you're angry at someone else because of something they may or may not have done, go to them. Talk it out. Talk about how you feel. Talk about how they feel. Listen to their perspective. Listen to their frustrations. Listen to their fear. Listen to their anger. Listen to them. Talk with each other. First be reconciled. Do you notice he says first? First before what? First before offering your gift at the altar. And for a first century Jew, what could be more important than offering a gift at the altar to God? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what's more important, reconciliation. That's what's more important. Relationships, that's what's more important. Peacemaking, that's what's more important. Ritual can be incredibly important. Rituals can be incredibly important. Commanded by God, part of our worship life. But God is not interested in our rituals if we're not interested in our relationships. Isn't that true? 
God is not interested in our rituals. He's not interested in our prayers. He's not interested in our gifts. He's not interested in our songs if we're not interested in making peace with our neighbors. Jesus isn't interested. God isn't interested in our sacrifices unless we're interested in mercy. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Yes, come back and offer your gift. Yes, but first, be reconciled. Jesus prioritizes reconciliation. Jesus prioritizes relationships. Jesus prioritizes peacemaking. And he expects the same to be done by those who follow him. In our homes, relationships, reconciliation, peacemaking, unity have to take Priority. Priority over singing. Priority over prayer. Priority over giving gifts to God. All those things are important. All those things shape us. All those things should be done, but they do not take priority over making peace with the people in your life. I wish, I wish you and I could make peace on a national scale. I believe we can be part of making peace on, peace on a national scale, even on a worldwide scale. Because there are followers of Jesus, not only in this community, but in this country and in this world. And if we would embrace these truths, I believe we could make a difference on a national and global scale, making peace. But I know for sure what we can do. I know for sure what your family can do. I know what my family can do. Prioritize peacemaking. Prioritize relationships. Prioritize unity. Make peace with someone who is angry with you or with those with whom you are angry. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, come to terms quickly. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Conflict escalates. That's the nature of conflict. Anger escalates, fury escalates, outrage escalates. It does. Conflict escalates. When you say something to someone and they hear it, their level of anger goes up and then they say something to you and your level of anger goes up and the conflict rises and the conflict rises and the conflict rises until at some point it's out of control and it's irreparably broken. Jesus says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser before it escalates. Reconcile before things escalate. I was thinking about the feud between the Hatfield and McCoy families. You probably all heard that story. Thirteen people died in that feud. Thirteen people were killed in that feud. And it started over a lawsuit about a hog an accusation that one member of one family had stolen a hog and from there a feud that would last years and take 13 lives. What, what, if, what if those people had taken seriously what Jesus says here? Come to terms quickly. Make peace. Be reconciled before things escalate. Your relationship with your spouse if you're married your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your neighbors, your relationship with your grandchildren, 
your relationship with your, your parents, your relationship with your brother or your sister, things get out of hand very quickly. Accusations get made, tempers start to fly, words are said, and before you know it, things are irreparably broken. And Jesus says, come to terms quickly. Make peace. Be reconciled before, before things escalate. It's so much like a fire, isn't it? When a fire starts, it's a, it's a small spark, and it's, it's manageable. It could just be extinguished, just like that. But before you know it, it, it grows, and then it's a small flame. And, and before you know it, th- this flame has caught even more things on fire. And before you know it, it's raging so big that it's overwhelming, and you don't know what to do with it. You've experienced that in your relationships, haven't you? Maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe with your parents, maybe with a sibling, maybe with a cousin, maybe with a neighbor. We're all guilty. We've all been angry. We've all fanned the flames. We've all said things and done things that we shouldn't have done and we have participated in and contributed to the strife, the tension, the anger, the conflict in the world, and Jesus calls us to recognize our liability. Recognize, Wes, you are liable. You are guilty. And to stand before him and seek forgiveness and a better way. And this is the better way. Jesus calls our families calls my family, calls me to strive to be a family that extinguishes the flames of strife. What does your family do with strife? What does your family do with conflict? What do you do in your family when someone makes you mad? When someone within the walls of your household makes you mad? When someone on the outside of your household makes you mad? When a neighbor makes you mad? When something that happens on a national scale makes you mad? When something in the community makes you mad? And it's natural. There's nothing more natural than getting angry. It's natural. It's exactly what we do. When someone says something hurtful to us, when, something, when someone does something hurtful to us, there is nothing more natural in the world than becoming angry. And there's nothing more natural than fanning that flame of anger until it grows and grows and grows in your heart until you say something or do something that cannot be taken back. There's nothing more natural than that. But Jesus doesn't call us to be natural people. He calls us to be spiritual people. He calls us to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so in our households, we must strive to be a family that extinguishes the flames of strife as those sparks pop up, and they will. As those sparks fly from our own tongue or someone else's tongue, our neighbor's tongue on the TV, on the internet, on the social media, as those sparks make their way into our house, we have a choice. What will we do when anger and frustration and tension and conflict are small? Will we come to terms quickly? Will we extinguish those flames or will we fan them until they consume us? Church, someday... Someday, hopefully soon, we'll be back in this room. We'll be back together as a church family. 
There's nothing in the whole world that God loves more than unity. And there's nothing in the world that God hates more than disunity. And church, I want us to be a unified people for our own sake and for the world's sake. We must be peacemakers. We must prioritize relationships. We must prioritize reconciliation. First, be reconciled. We cannot allow tension and strife and conflict to grow between us and to drive us apart. We cannot allow that to happen. Our unity is a testimony to the deity of Jesus, John chapter 17. The world knows that Jesus is God's son by our unity, by our oneness. And we cannot allow the flames of strife and conflict to drive us apart. We have to come together, which means we have to have one-on-one conversations. We have to listen to each other. We have to allow each other to share our fears and our frustrations, our anger, our accusations, and we have to come to terms with each other. We have to reason with each other and talk with each other and have conversations with each other, but we also have to have a tenacious unity that says, because of Jesus, I'm not going to let you go. Because of Jesus, I'm going to hold on to you forever. Because of Jesus, you may frustrate me sometimes, and I may not like what you say sometimes, and sometimes it makes me upset what you say or what you do, but I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to love you because we're a part of the same family, and our unity is a testimony to the deity of Jesus. Jesus is who he says he is, and our unity, our diverse and beautiful unity, is a testimony to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, many of us have a fire burning inside that needs to be extinguished. We have to acknowledge, I have to acknowledge my own liability and guilt, and I have to seek forgiveness from Jesus, and thankfully, he pardons all. He pardoned both the zealot and the tax collector. He pardoned both the people who compromised with the Gentiles and those who couldn't couldn't stand by and watch compromise. He pardoned everyone who would come and be his disciple. And he made them one. Not to take sides on one side or the other or even to stand in the middle, but to choose a different way, a different kingdom, a different way of living. And that's still what he's calling us to, to be different and to have households, families that are different, households that are little embassies of God's kingdom on earth, little embassies of peace. So church, let's be praying for each other. Let's be encouraging each other. Let's strive to be families that extinguish extinguish the flames of strife. Let's be reconcilers. Let's be peacemakers. We have another song to sing together. We have an update, some announcements, and then we'll be closed with a prayer. But I want to thank you for being with us this morning. And I want you to know that if we can do anything for you, if we can help you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus, if you need our prayers or our help in anything or with anything, please reach out to us. Thank you for being with us this morning.